Women's Health Melbourne is an innovative, holistic fertility and women's health practice. We are world leaders in IVF and egg freezing and provide our patients with every opportunity to achieve their goals. Our hand-picked expert team provides the ultimate care experience for our patients. Reach us at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and follow us at Women's Health Melbourne and at Dr Rayleigh Alou. Welcome to Knocked Up, the podcast about fertility and women's health. You are joined as always by me, Geordie Morrison, and Dr. Rayleigh Alou, CREI Fertility Specialist. Welcome. And we're joined today by Dr. Liron Ween, who is a medical oncologist and has recently joined us at Women's Health Melbourne. Welcome, Liron. Hi, thank you. Very excited to have you on, Liron. First time on the podcast. Let's introduce you to our audience. How did you get there? So I'm a medical oncologist. So I went to Monash University to study medicine and then went on to do basic physician training at the Alfred Hospital and then did my advanced physician training in the field of medical oncology, which is one of the subspecialisation pathways. And we train at a range of hospitals around Melbourne. Um, And then I went on to do a breast oncology fellowship at the Peter McCallum Cancer Centre in Parkville, which was a breast cancer uh, research and clinical trials fellowship. So I was mainly doing um, clinical trial work with breast cancer patients and a lot of outpatient clinics in the medical oncology field. Um, As medical oncologists, we deal with the systemic treatment of cancer patients. So that's uh, the chemotherapy and the hormone therapy and the immunotherapy more recently, um, as opposed to the surgical oncologists and radio-oncologists, radiation oncologists who are also part of our team. And Laurent, can I ask you, what would you say are the most common cancers affecting young women today? Breast cancer is a really common cancer for um, Australian women, as it is for women around the world, with about one in seven Australian women by the age of 85 will have a breast cancer diagnosis. Uh, There are other cancers that are very common in both the male and female population, being lung cancer, bowel cancer, and then gynecological cancers, while not necessarily the most common, are um, special for women. And that within itself is a diverse um, group of patients and diseases. And Laron, you've in recent times become very passionate about quality of life of women who survive cancer. Yeah, so breast cancer treatments, as a lot of other cancer treatments, can affect a woman for the period of time while they're receiving treatment, but also after they receive treatment. And one of the main areas that uh, women struggle with are menopausal symptoms after their can- during and after their cancer treatment. The, the symptoms that they can deal with are really quite wide-ranging and similar to um, the normal symptoms of menopause that any woman would go through, but they're often more, come on more suddenly and uh, often more severe and quite difficult to manage because a lot of the treatments that we would use normally to manage menopause are not able to be used in these women. And also some of them become menopausal overnight, which is what we 
would want from a therapeutic perspective if their um, cancers are um, growing as a result of hormones. Um, it's a good thing in terms of treating the cancer, but it's a very difficult thing for them to deal with from a symptom point of view. Why would a woman go into menopause after cancer treatment? So there's really a, um, a range of reasons. Uh, the first is that chemotherapy can be toxic to the ovaries. So it's helpful in terms of killing cancer cells, but it unfortunately isn't specific to the cancer cells a lot of the time. And that can put a woman into early menopause. The other um, reasons can be that we sometimes do it on purpose, for want of a better word, but to um, either take ovaries out surgically or suppress ovarian function with a injection to starve the cancer of the hormonal um, drivers. So that's a couple of reasons why they would be put into early menopause. The other um, issue is that we give them um, hormone receptor positive um, patients a treatment called endocrine therapy or hormone therapy where we either um, stop the production of estrogen with the tablets or or stop estrogen working in the body and that can give while not putting them into menopause but it gives them similar symptoms and how long would a young woman typically be on that regimen of medication with current evidence it's a long time really it's what I say to patients a lot of the time is that the chemotherapy side of things is analogous to a sprint event where it's really intense and it's short it's for three to six months and it's over and done with but the hormone therapy is the marathon it's a long time it's five to ten years of treatment and for a lot of the higher risk patients we're tending more to 10 years now and it's a real slog for them a lot of the time it's the real marathon where they've got to be really going through it for a long time and unfortunately some of the um some of the time with the chemotherapy, someone's put into menopause and it's unfortunately not reversible even after that period. So it can be years and years that we need to really deal with those symptoms. And I guess that's why it's so important to get them under control because it's not something you can just deal with for a few months and get through it. It's really a lifestyle and the term that's you know, unfortunately thrown around a lot is new normal. That's why it's really important to get on top of the symptoms and manage them well and make sure that people, I guess, are um, using their hormone therapy in the way it's meant to be taken because you're not going to stay on something that's making you miserable for five to ten years. What would be an example of some of the symptoms a woman would be experiencing that would lead them to be your patient? I deal with a lot of symptoms in these um, patients, including so hot flushes is a really common one and that's um, really typical of um, tamoxifen or aromatase inhibitors, which are the, the hormone tablet or the hormone treatment tablets that I was talking about earlier. Uh, night sweats is a real problem, sleep difficulties. And then there's a, um, a constellation of symptoms really called the genitourinary syndrome of menopause, where it can range from things like vaginal itching to burning, dryness, painful intercourse loss of libido and really difficult symptoms for women to manage that aren't necessarily easy for them to bring up with their usual doctor. And these are side effects that don't need to be tolerated? There, there, there are treatments available and I guess that's an important point that a lot of patients think that because they're not allowed to use the systemic 
hormone replacement therapy or menopausal hormone therapy that nothing can be done and they just have to suffer through it, that it's really not the case. And it's a matter of trying to get on top of it early because a lot of these things will get worse rather than better, unfortunately, as time goes on and utilise the non-hormonal treatments as best we can and then discuss hormonal treatments if we need to. And our one of our projects, which many of our listeners will be familiar with, is our Lovers Products. One of our focuses, you know, it kind of is the menopausal category for both hormonal and non-hormonal lubricants that are beautiful and gorgeous textures and not sticky and not yucky and that really do give amazing moisture. Because a lot of the products that people go to the pharmacy and they buy off the shelf, they often are a little bit turned off by and feel they don't really satisfy their needs. They might burn, they might sting, they might leave residue, they might not really prevent discomfort. Uh, menopause is such a time where women are really kind of, I think, by society in the past, often you know, taken off the sexual radar and people just forget about women after menopause. And I think one of the group you're looking after are very young women who would still be very interested in having a fulfilling sex life and be very confronted with these symptoms of early menopausal change that cause sexual discomfort, pain, loss of confidence and concerns about intimacy. And it's often happening to these ladies at a time where there's so much going on for them They've been through a cancer diagnosis or worried about the cancer or worried about about the side effects of other treatments and they you know if they feel pain or they feel sick and they're anxious and there's so much going on and this doesn't have to be an added problem for them and something that they feel is completely out of the control their control and something that they can't talk to anyone about because there's a whole team of people and range of treatments that are you know available and while they're not necessarily as effective as some of the treatments we can use in the general population, there are definitely things that can be done. And I think it's really reassuring reassuring for women to come to an oncologist who really knows what they've been through, who you can really trust to know that whatever you're going to suggest is going to be evidence-based and it's not going to put them at risk of cancer recurrence. They can feel really safe I think, in your hands in managing these symptoms, which I think is wonderful. And I think also, you know, these women who have been through breast cancer have often been through surgery that can often feel quite disfiguring initially and affect their body image and affect their self-confidence. And often I think women go from being really well and healthy and maybe never seeing a doctor except for you know, a flu jab or a cough or a sneeze and then suddenly they're thrown into this this medicalised model where they have to go to hospital, we give them terrible treatments that make them feel awful. That must create a bit of PTSD for these patients. Yeah, the, the treatment is really a, a long, long road and their lives are thrown into disarray overnight pretty much and a lot of them at the end of it can't wait to get out of the hospital system and don't want to go back. And that's why at Women's Health Melbourne, it's a great opportunity for them to seek specialised care outside of a hospital environment and somewhere that they don't feel that they've got to be going and seeing their oncologist and necessarily, you know, reliving those experiences all the time. 
you know, we focus on uh, on wellness and on living well after um, after cancer and maximising quality of life, um, and you know, living the best life you can with what you've got after treatment. And Laron, your view of this stage of life and transitioning women, you know, through this this stage to their new normal, if you like, um, or a better new normal. You, you have quite a holistic vision for that. It's definitely the case that traditional medical treatment or tablets is not the answer to a lot of these symptoms. And lifestyle modifications and a multidisciplinary team approach is really important for getting the best out of symptom management for these patients. So working with a team of sexual counsellors and psychologists and nutritionists and pelvic physios and acupuncturists and, you know, all sorts of other people besides your traditional doctors is really important and can help with getting on top of symptoms and also managing symptoms. We have, you know, really not a lot of evidence that a lot of treatments work, but we we do have evidence that um, things like cognitive behavioural therapy can help people really live better and cope with their hot flushes and their sleep difficulties and their general well-being and we should make people aware of that and make them able to access that and feel comfortable and they're not seeing psychologists because we think that there's you know something wrong with their mood necessarily or that they need to um, have psychotherapy it's more because these are proven therapies that can really be helpful and can make a huge difference to their lives. Tell us about some of the non-hormonal strategies that are available for managing things like hot flushes and disturbed sleep for women who have gone through an early menopause because of cancer treatment. So lifestyle modification or lifestyle optimization is really important and I guess is the first thing that we can do that's um, not necessarily easy but it's uh, low impact. So things like exercise and stopping smoking and dressing in multiple layers and reducing caffeine and alcohol, that can all make really a big difference to some women, not to all women, but to some women it can really make a big difference. If, um, if people have put on a lot of weight during their cancer treatment, which is really common, sometimes losing a few kilos, if they're able to, can really help with management of hot flushes and night sweats and increase their ability to exercise and sleep better. And that's a really important thing for these women that we can do. And it doesn't have any adverse side effects. There are other, uh, I guess, multi-modality treatments that can be offered that some of the, the evidence is variable for a lot of them. Cognitive behavioural therapy, as I mentioned before, is one that's backed up by quite a bit of evidence for hot flushes, managing hot flushes. It won't necessarily reduce the number of hot flushes or the intensity of them, but people can learn to cope with them a lot better. Um, acupuncture can help some women as well. And there's, yeah, there's a, there's a range of other ones that are not necessarily as easy to access, things like hypnosis. Um, there are studies for, we often um, overlook pelvic physiotherapy as really something that can make a huge difference to people's symptoms in terms of their ability to not necessarily have painful intercourse, their ability to not 
have recurrent urinary tract infections and urinary frequency. And I think that that plays a, a crucial role in managing these sometimes uh, really troublesome symptoms. And do you want to talk a little bit about the medical management strategies as well? Yeah, so for hot flushes in particular, we, we have a range of medications that are uh, non-hormonal that can help reduce the uh, number of hot flushes that women experience. And depending what endocrine therapy you're on, there's different ones. These are they're in the classes of um, antidepressants, very low dose or medications we use for nerve pain or some blood pressure agents can be helpful. And we start off at low dose, sometimes titrate upwards, depending on the effect. Um, but there's really quite good evidence that they work and that uh, people can have an improved quality of life on them and uh, manage their hot flushes a lot better. In terms of other medications for um, vaginal dryness, the one that I guess people want to know about is whether they can use vaginal estrogens at a low dose or whether they can never touch that. And that really depends on the patient and their medical oncologist and the nature of their disease and what they're prepared to tolerate in terms of their their symptoms or their their level of risk aversion and so it's not a it's not a matter of you can never touch that it's a it's a matter of having a, a well-informed discussion and people making their own choices after talking about it with their team you are amazingly well placed to help those patients talk to their oncologists as well as an oncologist yourself with an interest in this area. Would you say that most oncologists would be, I would say, pretty pleased to have you involved in their care, helping their patients navigate these issues and there would be a really lovely dialogue between you working together in the patient's best interest? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's all about having a team and a team to support you and to try and manage your symptoms as best as we can. And it's not uh, one person working on one thing and another person working on another. We're trying to work as a team and I would never prescribe something that their oncologist wasn't happy with. And it's about respecting those views. And people do have sometimes very um, strong views one way or the other. And, and I respect that. And I think that it's a matter of informing the patient and discussing it and um, and coming to a solution that is in the best interest of the individual patient. And I would really say, Laron, what you've done in creating your practice is really pioneering work in the private practice setting. I've worked before as part of a holistic team involving gynecologists and allied health professionals at the Women's Hospital in the Menopause Symptoms After Cancer Clinic, but I've never aside from your practice, seeing that holistic model of care taken to the next level in a private setting. What inspired you to create this amazing model of care? Well, I, I guess it was really just seeing what a problem it is for these patients day in and day out in breast oncology clinic. And it's really up there on their list of things that they're struggling with these patients in the months as they progress after their cancer treatment and that really is what led me into this area seeing what a struggle it is for a lot of these patients and seeing that a difference can be made and that it's best served in a 
clinic that has a focus on multidisciplinary management of these patients. And the other point to make, I guess, is that these discussions are often quite personal and quite um, complex and it's good to have one doctor dealing with it rather than having to re-explain yourself every time because it takes up a lot of courage for women to even have that discussion once in the first instance a lot of the time. At what stage of a woman's treatment would she come to see you? I mean, I'm happy to see people at any stage of their treatment. Um, It tends to be after the acute effects of chemotherapy and radiotherapy have worn off and people feel well enough and have a think about really what's going to be an ongoing issue for them. So it tends to be in the months to, I mean, these things can last years. So months to years after they've finished their surgery, chemotherapy and radiotherapy, and they have ongoing effects either because they're in permanent menopause or because they're on the endocrine therapy as an ongoing part of their treatment. So it tends to be once the acute treatment has worn off and they've gone back, I guess, to their normal life and uh, really thinking about these symptoms in more detail and how they're going to manage them for the years to come. When a woman first comes to see you, Liron, what can they expect from their first appointment? And is there anything that you'd ask them to do before they come and see you? So to make the most of their first appointment with you? When patients make an appointment, we send out a information sheet and questionnaire to them, which covers a range of questions about their past history and their symptoms. I generally don't need scans or blood tests before someone comes to see me. When they come in, we sit down and we'll talk about their symptoms and why they've come to see me and what it is they're hoping to improve by coming to see me. And then I'll take a medical history about what their treatments have been and what they um, have in their past history in terms of medical conditions or surgical procedures, um, if they're on any medications or have any allergies. And it's really a discussion about what they need to get on top of their symptoms and what they're prepared to take to get on top of their symptoms. So by that I mean some patients have a strong preference for not taking any more tablets because they've been through so much treatment and they've put so much into their bodies that they just say, I want a non-drug management plan. And some people would say, I'm prepared to try anything and In fact, I don't want to come to multiple appointments. I just want something to take and to try and to see if it makes me better. So it's really a discussion about what that particular patient wants. Then I also try and at each appointment look more broadly at the issue and we need to make sure that things like bone health and cardiovascular health are looked at because as with any postmenopausal woman, osteoporosis and uh, cardiovascular risk is an issue. And what we can do to optimise their chances of their cancer not coming back. And that is a high up um, issue on a lot of women's agendas at that point in time, as is their mental wellbeing and what we can do to optimise that and reduce the anxiety of cancer recurrence. I often see these patients in my practice if a breast cancer diagnosis happens as a young woman if they've not completed their family because often I'm called upon to help with fertility preservation like egg freezing or embryo freezing through IVF. Uh, In terms of helping patients conceive, 
after that and after they've had cancer treatment, it often is a negotiation because, as you say, in an ideal world with hormone receptor positive cancers, we don't want the high hormone levels that can come with fertility treatment and pregnancy in the system. Can you talk a bit about your approach to navigating that important question for some patients? It's quite a complex question in a way because in the breast cancer field there's many different types of cancers and I can't sort of lump them all in one basket and say this advice applies to everyone. To answer that question, it's it's a very difficult question and I can't succinctly summarise it in a minute. It's really something that is a a complex um, issue and needs an individualised approach because, for example, with breast cancer, there are many different types of breast cancer and the advice would not be uniform across the board. So within breast cancer, there's hormone receptor positive cancers and then there's triple negative cancers and there's also a subset of breast cancer called HER2 positive cancer. And the treatments that these patients are on and the ability to stop treatment really depends on the patient and the characteristics of the disease. So by that I mean whether they had a small or a large cancer or whether their lymph nodes were involved or whether their cancers were low-grade or high-grade, meaning how quickly their cells are turning over. And the risk of recurrence and the risk of recurrence associated with stopping treatments. And that is really a individualised discussion for each patient with their oncologist and also a matter of what each woman is prepared to tolerate because we all have different set points for our risk aversion and some people will say, I would never want to do anything to compromise my breast cancer treatment. And some people on the other hand, would say I am prepared to take X degree of risk to have a family. And it's really a very individualised discussion and some oncologists would be prepared to stop hormone treatment earlier than others. Most would complete the course of chemotherapy. That's really a given. But when we're talking this five to ten year period, the, the point at which you can or whether you can stop, it's not a a hard and fast answer, but it's something that um, there's no real rule as such. Most people would say complete at least two years, but it's really an individualised discussion for a patient to have with their oncologist and uh, fertility team. And I would say if anyone's listening out there who has gone through cancer treatment and needs to be on that therapy for a bit of time, if they have frozen embryos or they have frozen eggs and they want to use them, the age a woman is at the time that she uses her frozen eggs or frozen embryos, even if she's gone through menopause as part of her cancer treatment, doesn't necessarily influence the, her chance of success with those eggs and embryos. That's the beauty of frozen eggs and frozen embryos. They're the same age forever. They're the same age they were the day they went in the freezer. So working together, it is possible to find whatever that balance point of risk is for an individual woman and still be able to hopefully help her have her family. And just to make the point also that a lot of women do go on to have families after breast cancer treatment and that 
they don't need to, I guess, be afraid to do that. And there are, there are lots of studies which have looked at um, women going on to have pregnancies and babies after breast cancer treatment, and it can be done successfully. It just has to be done at the right time for that patient. Can we talk a little bit about breast cancer genes and would that affect your management of patients compared to women who don't have a breast cancer gene suffering the same symptoms? It really depends if they have had breast cancer, then whether or not they have a breast cancer predisposition gene, and most commonly that would be a mutation in the BRCA1 or BRCA2 gene, the patient themselves has a predisposition to having cancer recurrence. And so they have to really be treated that they have a high high risk of that, whether or not they have a predisposition gene. And that means really putting them on menopausal hormone therapy after cancer isn't appropriate, whether or not they have a BRCA1 or BRCA2 gene mutation or any other mutation that predisposes them to breast cancer. Because there's a lot of a lot of things we don't know about genetics. And just because they don't test positive to a genetic mutation that predisposes them to the breast cancer, I guess by having had breast cancer, that means that that individual is at risk. And in that case, I would treat them the same. But for patients who haven't had a diagnosis of breast cancer and to have a predisposition mutation who have had, for instance, had their ovaries out as a prophylactic measure, that's a bit of a different story. And then a lot of those women do go on to have menopausal hormone therapy for the the benefits of that in terms of their bone protection and general health and as well as symptom management. So it really depends on the situation and why it is that they're experiencing the symptoms. If a woman hasn't had breast cancer but they are going through menopause and having the symptoms, are they able to see you? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, a lot of women for various reasons, whether it's personal preference as well as uh, medical conditions, prefer not to take menopausal hormone therapy and that is an individual decision and that's um, fair enough and I'm happy to see those women as well because the same basic principles really apply in terms of the medications that we can use for symptom management and the multidisciplinary team that we would get involved. So absolutely. And Leron, are you happy also to see patients who may not have had a breast cancer but might have a gene mutation that they've discovered in their family to talk them through options for future care? I'm happy to see these patients in terms of if they have had their ovaries out for preventative purposes and also to have a discussion for those who haven't who are going through natural menopause to discuss how appropriate or not it may be for um, menopausal hormone therapy and also what else we can do for them from a holistic point of view. And within our practice, because we do have Dr Sippy Ben-Harim who's a general gynaecologist with a strong interest in menopause and myself who offers fertility preservation and IVF including genetic diagnosis to prevent passing on cancer genes to the next generation we really do cover with our holistic team of allied health professionals as well the full spectrum of care within the practice 
And it's really lovely to be able to cross-refer and work together um, in a beautiful environment. And we're so excited to have you on board, Laurent. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and to be working with you guys. Thank you so much for explaining to us all how you're helping women at our practice. We loved having you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Join us on Instagram at Knocked Up Podcast and at Dr. Rayleigh Alou, or email us your questions to podcast at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au. 